here. So I guess that gives me some liberty. It's so good to be here this morning. I've been anticipating this time to uh, preach God's Word to you. Uh, Dale is a wonderful friend. He's been a friend for many years, and he has uh, a lot more stories he can tell on me than I can tell on him, so I'm not going to share any stories. Maybe in private you can ask me some about him, but he's been a great accountability partner to me, a, a person that I can call up and get wisdom and support uh, over the years. And it's a great privilege for me to be here at St. Andrews. I've heard a lot about this church uh, last year. My wife and I, my wife is Cindy, you can raise her hand, Cindy. Uh, we came here on the end of my sabbatical, and we had visited 12 churches and uh, after we were here, I commented to her on the way home, I said, that is the best church we've been in throughout my sabbatical. The only better one is our own church. <laughs> but uh, it was a wonderful experience. And you are known for being a very generous congregation, a very generous congregation towards missions and many other different ministries. And it goes beyond your desire to give. I'm impressed with uh, the amount that you've pledged or promised in, in this past year for all the different missionaries you support and uh, the trips that you support, the special projects. But it goes beyond just your giving, your commitment to go uh, on all these different trips and uh, be a part of missions here in this area as well as around the world is very impressive. And I say all of that just to say, I know I'm talking to a congregation that is informed, that uh, is inspired, that is committed to missions. So why is it important to have a missions conference if you have a congregation that is committed to missions? Well, if you're like me, my eyes stray away from the, the cause and the purpose that God gave us, and that is to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that Christ has commanded. I forget that that's my primary purpose here on this earth, and it's possible for a church to forget that too, and we always have to keep ourselves focused on why we're doing what we're doing, why we are here, how God wants each of us individually and as a church to be a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God. And we need to remind ourselves as well that we have the only hope for the world. Jesus is the way, the truth, the light. No one comes to God. No one comes to the Father except through him. When we're reminded of that truth, well, God gives us a renewed burden and passion to see others hear and respond to the gospel in faith. We're reminded of Acts chapter 4, 12, when Peter said, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And isn't it amazing that God sovereignly chooses to use us as his messengers, as his ambassadors, to bring the gospel to this lost world? Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are sent people. We are messengers. And need I remind you of what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless 
They are sent. I believe that we're all missionaries. We are all called to go. We're all called to go to our families and preach the gospel. We're all called to go to our neighborhoods and to our places of employment. We are all missionaries and ambassadors. We are sent ones. But of course, there are some that are sent to other people groups, to other nations, to other cultures, career missionaries. And I know it's your prayer that God might raise up more from this church, St. Andrews, those who will be career missionaries to other people groups. I was reading just the other day that there are about 11,000 people groups in this world, and over 3,100 of them have yet to have an evangelical witness. This is a doable plan, a doable mission, but we have a great challenge ahead of us to reach those people groups with the gospel. And so, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so, a missions conference is a time for us to focus on praying, praying that God would raise up more laborers, praying that God would uh, give us more generous hearts to give and, and a desire to pray for other missionaries. I think of all the times where Paul mentions in his epistles to various churches uh, his desire for them to pray for him and his mission work. I think of Romans chapter 15.30. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He prayed or asked them to pray for his deliverance from persecution. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. And then, of course, he also prays for the word of God to go forth, for doors to be opened for the word of God. He says in Colossians 4.3, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of of Christ. Finally, though, a missions conference uh, is important because we need to realize that missions cost money. You know, someone has said, the water of life is free, but the plumbing is expensive. <laughs> the plumbing being the conduits of missionaries and mission agencies and works. And so uh, you all have made great commitments in the past to uh, this faith giving uh, that you've been a part of, faith missions giving, over $160,000 you pledged to give to missions this past year. And we are about that today, talking about giving. And I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Here is an example, a New Testament example of a fundraising letter. Have you ever gotten those fundraising letters in the mail? Uh, isn't it tempting to toss it aside? Well, this is an inspired fundraising letter. And Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they made a commitment a year ago to give, give to the needs of the mother church in Jerusalem. The, uh, the church was experiencing a terrible time of suffering, and suffering for their faith, but also suffering... Uh, economically, 
And the Corinthians had promised to give this gift, but they hadn't followed through with this promise yet. And so he's sending this next letter of 2 Corinthians and uh, reminding them to get ready for when he arrives to have these funds available. And he wants to motivate the Corinthians to follow through with their commitment to give. So how does he do that? Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That is the reading of the word of the Lord. Now the first thing that you notice in uh, this letter is that Paul gives the Corinthians an example of these Macedonian churches. Macedonian churches are what we would consider northern Greece today. And your first reaction might be, hey, that's not really a good idea to give someone an example of other people to motivate to give. Now, as parents, uh, we're tempted sometimes to say to one of our children, if they're not doing well in school, and we have uh, another child who's doing well to school in school, hey, why don't you be like your brother? Why don't you work harder? Why don't you make good grades? We're tempted to do that sometimes, but we know it's usually not a good idea. Why? Because we do not want that child to feel resentment toward the other child, the sibling who's doing well. We also don't want them to think that we are favoring them in any way because of their performance. We don't want to convey the idea that if you perform well, dad and mom will be more proud of you and love you more. That's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is giving them an example, not to cause them to envy, not to cause them to uh, enter into competition with another group of people. No, he's giving them an example that this is a church that has not given on the basis of guilt or competition or envy. He's giving them an example of a church that is giving because of God's grace. God's grace is giving them a heart of love That causes them to sacrifice. And so grace here is mentioned four times in this passage. And so we see in this text, I think, a beautiful example of how God's grace produces amazing generosity. Amazing generosity. Generosity that defies the logic of this world. And I want to give you four ways that God's grace produces amazing generosity. The first way is I want you to see God's grace produces sacrificial giving. God's grace produces sacrificial giving. 
Notice what Paul says about the conditions in Macedonia. He says that they were really hurting. They were undergoing persecution, and they were economically depressed. They were barely surviving. They were involved in a severe test of affliction. Most commentators think that means persecution. And then they were involved in extreme poverty. This is an area that had been hit by a depression. And uh, Paul says in verse 3 that they gave according to their means. In other words, these Macedonians were involved in proportionate giving. In other words, they were giving of their tithes and offerings already. You know, you give a tenth of what God provides. That's proportional giving. And I believe the tithe is really the starting point. It's kind of the training wheels of giving by grace. And the Macedonians didn't stop there. They continued to give. They gave, as Paul says, beyond their means. And that means they gave more than they knew they had to give. They were trusting the Lord. To ex- they were expecting him to provide what they didn't have. Now, the world might look at that and say, that is foolish. You don't give beyond your means. But according to the scriptures, that's faith. That's faith. They gave so much that without God providing, they didn't know how they were going to make it. I read a story about a, a man by the name of Dr. Roy Lauren who tells about a Christian businessman who went to South Korea, and he was with a missionary, and they were along the side of the road, and this businessman noticed that there were two men in the field in the rice paddies. One man was in front of the plow pulling the plow, and the other man was behind the plow guiding it. And this uh, businessman said, wow, uh, they must be extremely poor. And the missionary responded, well, they don't consider themselves poor. They actually consider themselves rich because those two men are Christians. And they found out uh, last year that someone was in their church, a couple that had nothing, and they sold their ox and gave their earnings to that couple so they could survive. Well, that businessman was silent for a while, and then he said to the missionary, well, that must have been a real sacrifice. Uh, how could they afford to do that? And the missionary responded again, well, they didn't call it a sacrifice. They thought themselves to be blessed that they had an ox to sell. And so when that businessman went home, he took a picture of that, uh, those two men with the, uh, with the plow to the pastor. And he said, Pastor, I want to double my giving to the church. I want to do some plow work. Up until now, all that I've given to the Lord hasn't involved any real sacrifice. And so Paul here is inspiring the Corinthians that God's grace produces sacrificial giving. But secondly, I want you to see that God's grace produces joyful giving. In verse 2, Paul says they had an abundance of joy. And that phrase is sandwiched in between the words, the severe test of affliction and extreme poverty. How can you have joy in the midst of affliction and poverty? It reminds me of another story, Dr. Hugh McKean, a missionary to Thailand. He served in Chiang Mai. He told about this impoverished church in an isolated area of Thailand, a church that had about 400 members, but they were painfully poor. And yet they were very diligent in their sacrifices to missions. They used their meager income, which averaged about 20 cents a week per person, 
And they did more than any other church in all of Thailand. They paid for their own preacher. They paid for two missionary families to go to a remote part of of Thailand and and spread the gospel, and they were intensely interested in all the poor around them, and they did what they could to help the poor. Uh, They they called themselves the Church of the Overflowing Hearts. The love of Christ overflowed through the joy that they had, even in the midst of their poverty. And you know what? Amazingly, this church was a church of lepers. Every person in that church had leprosy, and yet their suffering and the love of Christ helped them to give generously, helped them to escape the grips of materialism and to center their lives on being stewards of God's resources. Isn't it an amazing irony that Christians can go through great suffering, poverty, go through great affliction, and yet they can have joy? I know many of you have experienced that. You've gone through affliction and suffering, and yet... It even seems that your joy is enhanced when you go through those times because through those times, you're taught to put your eyes on Christ and the blessings that you have in him and not look to the things of this world to give you joy and fulfillment and happiness. The Holy Spirit is there to remind us as our comforter that God's grace is sufficient for every need and that he has a loving purpose for us even when we go through times of affliction. The Macedonians... Uh, had known affliction, and yet uh, they had great joy. And they looked to the grace of God, and they had even greater faith to give sacrificially. Well, so we've seen God's grace produces sacrificial giving and joyful giving. Thirdly, we see in this text, God's grace produces enthusiastic giving. Enthusiastic giving. When joy overflows in our lives, two things are affected. The amount that we give and the eagerness with which we give it. And these Macedonians were not under any compulsion to give. In other words, uh, they weren't reminded of their duty to give. They were not excoriated for their lack of commitment. No, they gave of their own accord, it says in verse 3. And verse 4 says, they begged Paul earnestly, sincerely, for the favor of taking part in this cause. They weren't under compulsion. They urgently pleaded with Paul. And their desire was so great that it would have hurt them if they didn't have an opportunity to give. Now, you would have expected the Macedonians to be in a welfare line, not begging to give, even give beyond what they were able to give. But no, they considered it a privilege to be able to contribute and to be used by the Lord. The joy of the gospel does this. The joy of God's grace does this to our hearts. When, when we have the joy of Jesus Christ in our lives, poverty can't even stop us from giving. Some of you know how hard it is to coax people to give to certain causes. Schools have all kinds of gimmicks for raising funds. I remember buying a $20 chocolate candy bar from a girl who came to our door, and uh, my wife wasn't home. I was the only one at home, and I thought, oh, I don't want to do this, but, you know, I didn't want to just hide in the back of the house. So I went to the door, and uh, she gave me the spiel about how they were raising funds for the band, and uh, I told her, well, my wife isn't home, and, 
you know, we always make these decisions together. <laughs> so could you come back a little bit later? And I was amazed at this little girl's boldness and her pushiness and how rude she was. She said, do you always make a decision, uh, even in buying a candy bar, do you always need to have your wife around to do that? And so I was shamed by this 12-year-old girl to buy a $12 or a $20 uh, chocolate candy bar. Well, I don't think that these Macedonians were even asked for money. Uh, Paul probably didn't even want to bother them because he knew they were poor. He knew they were suffering. But they begged him for the privilege. And so we see that God's grace produces sacrificial, joyful, and enthusiastic giving. But finally, I want you to see that God's grace produces consecrated giving. You notice in verse 5 that they did not do as Paul expected. Uh, They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God gave to the cause of the Jerusalem church. Paul might have expected some small donation when uh, he was approached by this church, but what occurred was really a revival, a revival in their hearts, and then a sacrificial gift that, that followed. You see, I think one of the greatest products of a missions conference is not just learning that we need to all be goers, not just learning that we all need to be active in praying, and, and not even learning that we all need to be sending and, and use our gifts to send other missionaries and to uh, support mission agencies. Those are all byproducts of what we really hope takes place at a missions conference, and that is the revival of our hearts. The revival of our hearts. This is what occurred to the Macedonians. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They realized that they were God's. That, that all that they had was the Lord's. And they realized what God had given to them. God gave him their, his son. God gave them salvation in Christ at a, at a great cost. And, and so they were renewed in, in their love for the Lord and their love for uh, the Lord's mission and vision for his church. And then they wanted to do all they could with the resources that God had provided for them. And so with that example, Paul exhorts the Corinthians to complete the commitment that they made. And he he refers to their giving as an act of grace. Have you thought about that before, how giving to the Lord ought to be an act of grace? And in verse 7, Paul says, just as you excel in these other areas of, of spiritual gifts, he is hoping that they will excel in this act of grace, referring to their giving. Now, how were they to excel in this act of grace? Well, Paul tells them, again, in verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command. In other words, I'm reminding you again, Corinthians, I'm not trying to browbeat you. I'm not trying to coerce you. Uh, I don't want you to be compelled by anything else other than God's grace. You see, sometimes people give, and it's a substitute for personal commitment, when, in fact, our personal commitment ought to be first, and then we give to the Lord. And so Paul here is saying, I want you to look to God's grace for your motivation for giving. And he says in verse 9, Therefore, 
For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He was telling these Corinthians, I want you to recall, recall the poverty that Jesus went through in order for you to be rich. Recall how much love God the Father has had for you. God is the greatest missionary, isn't he? He sent his one and only son out of love for us to provide for us what we could not provide for ourselves. He sent his son in order to become a man so that his son could be a substitute for us. See, the Bible says that we're born in sin. We're born with a sinful nature. We're born in rebellion against God. We have rebelled against his commandments. We've sinned against his laws. And God is a just and holy God, and he must punish all sin. And yet, in his love, he sent his only son to become a man in order to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserve to die. That means he came to fulfill the law for us. He came to live a perfect life. And he lived the perfect human life so that uh, his righteousness could be credited to the account of those who would believe in him. And he also went to the cross in order to experience the, the shame and the punishment and the wrath that we deserve from God. He was our substitute on the cross. And so all those who receive Christ by faith and by repentance receive the forgiveness of God of all of their sins and are declared righteous and acceptable before God and receive the Holy Spirit and are united with Christ and have been adopted into his family and have the gift of eternal life. God is the greatest giver, the greatest missionary. And Paul is saying, believers in Corinth, you need to understand the riches that you have in Christ. Because as you contemplate those riches through the union that you have with Christ, as you contemplate the joy that you have because of what Christ has done for you, you will be motivated. You will have power to be obedient and to give as God wants you to give. You see, we are to be a demonstration of the grace of the gospel in the way that we give. In fact, I believe that to the degree that we grasp the riches that we have in Christ, to that degree, we will be enabled, we will be involved in sacrificial, joyful, enthusiastic, and consecrated giving. This church, as many churches do, rely on this faith missions giving to finance their missions budget every year. And you know, 90% of the churches that give the greatest amount to missions in this country use this way of funding missions. And it's not just because it's effective, it's biblical. We've seen this is what the Macedonians are doing. And so when you give a faith missions gift, you are committing to give something, promising a certain amount of money that uh, if it were not for God providing, you wouldn't know how you could do it. You're expressing faith, faith in God's ability to give beyond what you think you are able to give. And there are all sorts of ways to, uh, to see God provide through our, the faith promise or the faith missions gift. Uh, it often causes us to be better managers of our own money. I know a church uh, near us that uh, has challenged its people to give up coffee for a whole year uh, and to give what they would spend on coffee to a certain missions 
uh, uh, cause. And, you know, we often don't realize how much expendable income we have that we could give up for the cause of the gospel. And I don't think you're asking them to give up coffee. That would be too far, but... Um, <laughs> And sometimes uh, we can be very creative in the way that we give. We can sell some things that we have around the house on eBay or in garage sales. Uh, we can sell a craft or a service on the side. I, I, I learned about a, a lady in this church who, who uh, knit napkins and sold them for her faith missions uh, giving. I know a pastor who uses his honorariums uh, for when he speaks at funerals and weddings and, and other events for missions. You heard that my wife and I are from Peachtree City. Does anyone know what Peachtree City is well known for? Golf carts. We have 90 miles of golf cart trails. There are thousands of people in our community that own golf carts to get to the the store or to school. You wouldn't believe the high school parking lot. Thousands of golf carts. It's funny, but we thought, hey, let's use this as an opportunity to Uh, earn some money for our faith promise. And so we stepped out on faith and bought three old golf carts and fixed them up and sold them. And we earned a a pretty good profit to put towards our faith promise giving. But there are many creative ways that you can uh, use in order to raise funds for faith promise or for your faith uh, missions giving. If you're a business person, uh, you may uh, trust the Lord to provide Uh, more of a commission than you would normally get in a year. Uh, If you're selling homes, uh, you could say, Lord, if if you help me sell more homes than I uh, normally expect to sell, I'll give a certain percentage or all of of the proceeds to to the mission's budget. If you're an investor, maybe the Lord will lead you to give a certain amount of of a yield that you uh, receive in, in investments. And sometimes God provides in miraculous ways. There's a man in Birmingham who he and his wife decided to give $5,000 for their faith promise. They didn't know how they were going to get that money. Six weeks after they made that, they signed that pledge card or that promise card, uh, the, his brother came to visit and he brought him a bag of money, uh, the exact amount, $5,000, and he said, I know you won't remember this, but 25 years ago, you gave me some money to help me, and I am giving you this back with interest. And it was exactly $5,000. You'd be amazed in the ways that the Lord will uh, come through and build up our faith. And so the point is, as I conclude here, God wants us to be so moved by the need for uh, people to hear the gospel around the world and so moved by his grace toward us that he wants us to make a promise as we go to him and ask him, Lord, what uh, do you want me to do? to hope and and pray that you will provide for me this year. And you're going to have an opportunity in a few minutes to to sign uh, what God has laid upon your heart to give for your faith missions gift. And that ought to be a representation of your faith in the Lord. It ought to be a representation of your belief that uh, God has given you this figure and he is able, through his means to provide even beyond what you think is, is, able, is, is possible. So settle an amount in your mind and make that commitment big enough that it will truly be a big step for you and for your family. And then look, look for ways that he will provide for you to give. And if you did this last year, consider the amount 
that you put last year and increase it. Uh, Make it a representation of how you want to see your faith increased as well. So we've seen here the gospel provides and produces sacrificial, joyful, enthusiastic, and consecrated giving. May God work that here at St. Andrew's and give you a desire to see him provide and work and build up your faith and provide for your missionaries and a greater movement of missions in this world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for these dear believers at St. Andrew's, for their pastor, for their staff, their elders and deacons, for the many members and attenders who give of themselves in service to you and their desire to see the growth of your kingdom through the gospel as it's proclaimed. Lord, thank you for using them, for the privilege that you give all of us to be used in expanding your kingdom all over the world and help them to come to you here with hearts that yearn to know your heart for the world and help them to enter into a deeper appreciation of your sacrifice and joy and enthusiasm and commitment in emptying yourself by becoming a man to provide for all of us the riches of our salvation. Lord, help us to give ourselves to you afresh and ask what you would want us to promise to give as you provide in our faith missions gift. We pray for your grace, that you would increase your grace in our lives so that we might give even, uh, even greater amounts and with greater faith uh, in, the, in the process of this missions conference. And Lord, we pray that this amazing generosity would, would give you praise and glory and that we would once again see that you exceed all of our expectations because you are able to do exceeding abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.